Welcome back, Red Spotters. And this year in the Red Spotlight Podcast, I'm your host, Alexis Chiasoto, joined by Mr. David Francisco. This is his first podcast, I want to say, in, I don't know, a month and a half, close to two months. It's been quite some time. I know October was a pretty busy month for a whole bunch of new movies. Um, and I don't know, what was the last thing you and I discussed? I hope it wasn't the show where we talked about our favorite TV shows of 2020. Um, Of course, you'll notice how that was a while back, and yet we still haven't produced a top 10 list for the year of 2020. And it doesn't seem like that's going to happen, considering how recent developments have um, forebode, as it were. Uh, Today, David and I are back, and we're going to do a catch-up. You know, every now and then, David uh, has a couple of um, weeks where he's not on a show, and we like to catch up with him and uh, give his and that way we can get his takes on some of the films that we've been discussing so Eternals is a pretty hot ticket right now as far as like um, the kind of takes that people are having on it you know Um, as well as Dune and No Time to Die and I believe later on David will also give his thoughts on the series finale of Lucifer and then he's also been seeing Lock and Key, and then perhaps some other stuff. You know, we have plenty of surprises on our podcasts here on Red Spotlight number 356. David, um, so um, hello. I haven't seen you, I think, <laughs> since September, it seems like. Mm-hmm. How was your October? How was your Halloween? How are you and Moreno uh, doing over there? And the place we shall not name. <laughs> oh yeah, it was fine. I just I gave out candy and all for a while, but you were candy man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, it's been an interest. It, I think it's been two weeks ago almost since Halloween, which is crazy. Um, to think about how quickly time is going away, but uh, it, it's been kind of an interesting time, I'll say. You know. Um. October gave us a lot of, um, I think, uh, wonderful movies. Um, well, actually, if you look at it, like with October, we had four films that we reviewed, four main movies, two, I think, got really positive reviews, and then two, no, one got really mixed reviews, um, and then one. I would say got overwhelmingly negative reviews. And I think we all know which ones I'm talking about there. If you've listened, and I'm sure you've listened to all of them Hmm. um, for as much as you wanted to. Um, And with uh, November, it's looking interesting, right? So Eternals, um, we, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to both the Red Spotlight and Fantasy Fair um, reviews for the film. But it's definitely been, I'd say, one of the most, if not the single most fascinating movie to talk about just this year Mm -hmm. because of not only all the different reactions, not only our own differences and reactions about it, but I think there's some kind of um, a rarity that did happen here. Like, I'll say... um, I think for the most part, everybody agrees on what the problems are with the movie. And yet, for all of that, there are some differences in terms of like how everybody felt about it. I think 
there is still a range from Kyle to uh, Alexis Moreno where Kyle definitely liked it the least to where I feel his final word on it was he was um, in the negative of it overall and Alexis was very much in the affirmative as in she loved it and then you me and Peter I think it it fell somewhere along the middle although things have definitely been changing and I have to say for me um it's kind of rare these days where I myself am kind of um shell-shocked with uh how my mind has changed but I think you could tell um, throughout the course of the two recordings, full disclosure, of course, the Fantasy Fair recording took place the day before the Red Spotlight recording. So, And I believe I made mention of that. Um, and I apologize, David, that it's this late and you're tired. <laughs> but no, thank, you for being, thank you for being <laughs> on the podcast anyway. Um, and I'll try not to go on and on, but I'm sure that the, the point of what I'm trying to say is uh, – there were, even between those two episodes, some differences. And even as the conversations progressed with both of them, there were some things that I felt more positive on the movie. Um, by the end of the conversation I had with Peter, I even told him, you know what, if you want to go see it again, I'm down. Just because I feel like I need to. Usually when I go see movies again and again and again, it's because I love them the first time. I love them so much more the second time, and I want to keep seeing them. It's rare that I go see a movie again just because I'm, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And things have definitely changed, and we're going to discuss that uh, in great detail. But before we get to that, I know we had all this set up. We'll just hold on to that for a minute. Um, we've been talking a lot about Marvel uh, with Eternals and everything. And so it, it turns out today was the day for the Red Spotlight team to just like not so subtly drop how uh you know what what their rankings are for the <laughs> the uh the MCU and everything and um I'm not asking you at all to create a list or anything maybe you have one maybe you're not ready to update it uh and it is difficult um but some of us did uh I mean at least for me I had to give it a couple of days only because well um, my mind just couldn't be made up and it was my thoughts on the particular Eternals movie was evolving literally day by day. Mm-hmm. So when I first um, thought about adding this movie into the list, I'm not going to lie. It was kind of close to the bottom. Hmm. And now it's kind of progressed in a much more dramatic fashion in the other direction. But you know what? Let me just go ahead and um, reveal what the lists are because I can <laughs> now because they're public knowledge and just, you know, just to uh, get those feelings across. But I also um, uh, want people to know uh, just to see like, you know, a-, a lot of the times we may agree and sometimes we may disagree, but no list is the same. I think the three lists I'm going to read out to you are mine, Peter's, and Kyle's. And David, I'm sure you can agree, um, there were some pretty dramatic differences. Yeah. <laughs> some similarities. Mm, actually, Do you I want to say more? At, no, actually, I, I got to look at Peter's again, just because like, him putting in the shows 
like throws me off. Like, okay, because you see, I told them it wasn't just me, but you know what? Don't worry, I'm not going to acknowledge that as canon.、Mm-hmm. So, and I'm gonna help the whole audience because, of course, they don't have access to that. So, I'm gonna read the lists right now. Uh, so here is Peter Martinez's uh, ranked uh, MCU. Would you prefer I read this from number one to number twenty-six, or from twenty-six to number one?、Mm, one to twenty-six. Okay, so number one being his favorite, number twenty-six being least favorite. So in this order: number one, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two; number two, Marvel's The Avengers; number three, the original Guardians of the Galaxy; number four. Iron Man, which is interesting because Peter has,、uh, you know, lately not been so hot on that one. Number five, Captain America: The First Avenger. Number six, Avengers: Infinity War. Number seven, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Another one I find interesting because I don't recall him being as positive lately about that movie either. Number eight, Iron Man three. Number nine, Captain America: Civil War. Number ten, Thor Ragnarok. Number eleven, Eternals. Number twelve, Avengers: Endgame. Number thirteen, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Number fourteen, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Number fifteen, Iron Man two. Number sixteen, Shang Chi. Number seventeen, Thor. Number eighteen, Hulk: The Incredible Hulk. Number nineteen, Ant-Man. Number twenty, Doctor Strange. Number twenty-one, Black Panther. Number twenty-two, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Number twenty-three, Black Widow. Number twenty-four, Captain Marvel. Number twenty-five, Thor: The Dark World. And number twenty-six, of course, Ant-Man and the Womp Womp.、Hmm. Um, so that is Peter's list. Any、um, initial thoughts on that one? Wait, where was his Eternals? Eternals number eleven, eleven. Oh,、okay. that's outside the top ten. That's pretty fucking high. It's still considering. Close, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is actually surprising. I, he and I have Shang Chi and Incredible Hulk in the same place. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's not the last time we're gonna see the weird. Um, some of the numbers are exactly the same. So when you say you have Shang Chi in the same place. Keep in mind, number sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Some of these are. I, I feel like, with some exceptions, you'll see the same group of movies toward the top and a certain group of movies toward the bottom.、Mm-hmm. And I think <laughs> I think you'll see that. Yeah, I think we just have like different arrangements in our top ten. Sure. <laughs> For sure.、Uh, yeah, v- very clearly. So I like.、Um, Yeah.、Uh, no, that's for sure. So that's Peter's list. Let me get to Kyle's list. This one's a little bit different, I think. Although some of it's the same. So, like for、um, here's a little bit of the same one. His number one is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. <laughs> it's a great movie, of course.、Uh, I think it's a great contender to be number one. Number two. By the way, if you haven't listened, David and I did an audio commentary on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two earlier、mm-hmm. this year. Go out and listen to that one. His number two, Kyle's number two on his list is Iron Man.、Uh, that's no surprise; he loves that movie.、Um, number three, the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Number four, Marvel's The Avengers. 
Number five, Captain America Civil War. This one is surprising considering where it is, uh, especially when it's directly in front. I'm, I'm thinking he is the only one that has Civil War as the best of the four Russo brothers directed Marvel movies. Um, that's interesting. So number six, Avengers Endgame. Number seven, Avengers Infinity War. Number eight, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Number nine, Thor Ragnarok. Number 10, Iron Man 2. That's probably the highest anybody has Iron Man 2. Uh, and I'm going to also say for number 11, probably the highest anybody has this one at number 11 would be Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. At number 12 is Spider-Man Homecoming. And number 13 is Avengers Age of Ultron. At number 14 is Captain America the First Avenger. At number 15, which is pretty low, number 15 is uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Number 16 is Captain Marvel. Number 17 is the original Thor. Number 18 is Black Panther. Number 19 is Doctor Strange. At number 20, pretty fucking low, um, Iron Man 3. Um, he'll never get over the Mandarin thing, would he? Hmm. Uh, which I, I guess it's it's totally fair, by the way, I guess. Number 21 eternals number 22 ant-man number 23 thor the dark world number 24 black widow number 25 ant-man and the wasp and number 26 the incredible hulk um so yeah i i don't know if anybody else put the incredible hulk dead last i think kyle may be the only one at that um i don't blame him though because when we did the last time he saw that we watched it together and it was i have to tell you perhaps the single most excruciating audio commentary we've ever done because we kind of ran out of things to say 30 minutes in and then we still had a whole lot of movie mm -hmm. to talk about so it was it was an excruciating experience so i i don't i don't um blame him for that um whatsoever but uh again like black widow pretty fucking low um ant-man and the wasp of course it's there for a reason um there is of course the dark world um the thing is with the, the dark world real quick it's like it is very clearly at the bottom of it but the thing is it's like it's bad but it's the kind of bad where i don't like i don't really hate the movie you know mm -hmm. um I guess, like, with movies like um, Ant-Man and Doctor Strange and Black Panther um, and Captain Marvel and Black Widow, with those movies, I feel like what, what they suffer from is they should have been so much better. And I should remember them more. Mm -hmm. And I don't. Yeah, especially I because kinda... of what they did to them and, like, Endgame and... <laughs> yeah so it's um maybe i have maybe that's just my personal reasons but like i don't know like at the very least thor the dark world has some magic with um chris chris hemsworth and tom hiddleston um but but it's not really good either so it's you know i guess there's that so um that's kyle's list anything to say about him um mm. No, 
<laughs> I think those are just my observations there. So for me, um, my list, my number one currently is Captain America, the winter soldier. Uh, my number two would be Avengers Endgame. Number three is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And number four is Captain America the First Avenger. At number five is Guardians of the Galaxy. At number six is Avengers Infinity War. At number seven is Captain America Civil War. Um, at number eight is the original Avengers. At number nine is Iron Man. Number ten is Thor Ragnarok. Curiously enough, at number 11, off the bat, Eternals. <laughs> uh, pretty fucking high. Um, and literally the exact place Peter also put it. Um, a deeply flawed film, but already at number 11. Go figure. Mm-hmm. At number 12 is Spider-Man Homecoming. At number 13 is Iron Man 3. At number 14 is Avengers Age of Ultron. At number 15 is the original Thor. At number 16 is Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, although that, that may change depending on what we'll see. Number 17, Iron Man 2. At number 18, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. At number 19 is Captain Marvel. At number 20 is Black Panther. Number 21 is Ant-Man. Number 22 is Doctor Strange. Number 23 is Thor the Dark World. 24, Black Widow. 25, The Incredible Hulk. And 26, Ant-Man and the Womp Womp. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that's the second list of feature. I think the... I want to say, yeah, Peter and I have Ant-Man and the Wasp at the very bottom. Uh, we have Eternals exactly the same at number th- 11. Um, Shang-Chi is more or less around the same spot. Uh, and then, so far, the movie doing the best, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, uh, Peter, number one. Kyle, number one. It's my number three. Uh, but yeah. There is that. What do you think, David? Mm. What does your list look like? Um, well, yeah. Or, like said, yeah, no, go ahead. The top 10 is like very different from everyone else's. Or not, not very, but like, you know, uh, it's just different arrangements, basically. So my number one actually is Avengers Infinity War. Uh, two, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Three, Captain America, Captain America Civil War. Four, Spider-Man Homecoming. Five, Captain America the First Avenger. Six, Avengers Endgame. Seven, Thor Ragnarok. Eight, Age of Ultron. Nine, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Ten, Avengers. Eleven, Guardians of the Galaxy. Twelve, Iron Man. Doctor Strange, number 13. Fourteen, Ant-Man. Fifteen, Eternals. Uh, 16 Shang-Chi. That's so. still high for a lot of people's uh, takes, by the way. No, yeah. Uh, with Eternals, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, 17. Hulk, 18. Black Panther, 19. Black Widow, 20. Captain Marvel, 21. Iron Man 3, 22. Thor, Dark World, 23. Iron Man 2, 24. Thor, 25. And Ant-Man and the Wasp at 26. <laughs> yeah. 
That's the third person that put that one <laughs> dead last. That's mm-hmm. three out of four lists. I should tell you something about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, again, an- another a common theme here. It's like, um, I guess um, that pretty much answers the question about what we thought about Eternals, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's pretty high, con- I-, I would say, and pretty unconventional, I would say, for most people. But yeah, number, uh, considering the fact that it's like being, it's regarded as, I guess, the worst Marvel movie by uh, different metrics. You put it number 15, Peter and I number 11. Yeah. Um, and then Kyle's the only one that put it toward the bottom, I think. Um, that should probably that 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 tells you a lot. I feel, and I I don't know where Alexis would put Eternals, but she loved this the most. So I'm I would be most curious to see that list mm-hmm. off the bat. Uh, you put Infinity War as number one. Yeah, okay. it's just it's, it's no, it's so great. great. <laughs> it's a so great good. fucking movie. Yeah, no, no. I I think like, yeah, no. You 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 do you man like that. That's a great <laughs> fucking movie, and I love it. And uh, no, I, I I respect the choice. That's for sure because I know I know a lot of people, kind of like you know, uh, put their nose up on the movie. It's like, well, it's it's not really a film. It's like a collection of scenes and characters, and it's like mm-hmm. that's a pretty pretty dismissive um, critique. It's a lot more than that. I mean, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's not even just that. It's an actual movie. Yeah. Like an actual I mean, film. I it's just a Thanos think- movie. The, honestly, the movie could just be renamed Thanos Infinity War. Yeah, for sure. No, even the director said, like, it's just, yeah. it's not an Avengers movie. It's a Thanos movie. Yeah. And I mean, just what I love about it, though, is just it really felt like everything that built up was, like, perfectly in place for them to make this story to make yeah. like the villain win yeah. and so it's just kind of like like i every time i watch it i'm like i don't think there's like any other way you could have written this story like i just i can't see them yeah having thor arrive on earth safely or something i'm like no because like that, i just that would drastically change the story and so mm-hmm. it's just so great for me and i mean i love the action the cgi ooh, is still like incredible especially for thanos obviously and I, I just it's and then this is the one we where, you know, I got what I really wanted was just a bunch of interactions with the characters. You know, when mm-hmm. Iron Man first meets Doctor Strange, it's just like that little back and forth they get. It's great. And yeah. <laughs> no, it's um, I, I feel like maybe some people don't give it enough credit, but it's a it's a devastating movie. Um, <laughs> and, and so many it's devastatingly good. Um, as far as like the craft is concerned and the execution of it, um, but also like, there were some, there was some aspects of the movie that I think definitely were, um, brought Marvel to a new peak in some ways, because it felt like the first movie where they kind of were successful in being kind of operatic, especially with the Alvin Silvestri score, which is so, so good. Mm-hmm. The music in that movie, honestly, it's just like, it's beautiful breathtaking even um also like the vfx work like that movie is almost entirely vfx and yet it looks perfect mm-hmm. how that didn't get a nomin how that didn't win best visual effects oh my god i don't know man i, I that's it, rigged <laughs> it should have won for thanos alone i mean exactly so yes great. um of course the the performance in and of itself is great um I mean, considering all the elements at play, considering all the different characters, the promise that this had, for it to have come out as good as it did, 
I mean, I don't know what more you could have asked for. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's a damn good contender um for uh for the 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 best Marvel movie and it's like considering that Marvel is like basically the Star Wars of this generation, you know, this franchise. Like it's it's honestly a pretty I don't know if it I don't want to say ominous, but I think it's pretty like interesting how the conversation surrounding uh Infinity War and Endgame feels very much like the legacies of the empire strikes back and return of the jedi where Hmm. it's like both are very good movies i think there's an argument that could be made that as a film perhaps the first part or not the first part but um the middle um, empire and infinity war are maybe technically better but then of course um what an Endgame and Jedi have going in their favor they're the emotional finales and they over deliver on that Mm-hmm. Um, if the, if you know, containing some flaws here and there, but even then, like, that's I think a pretty high bar to reach. The fact that like you have a, a combo with Infinity War and Endgame that are pretty much in essence this generation's Empire and Jedi, um, that's pretty fucking great. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's where things stand. I can't wait to uh, hear what Alexis has to say about all this. Um, we've definitely given her plenty of uh, uh, scenario lists to think about. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, I-, I feel like this is a pretty damning indictment on the fact that you shouldn't include TV shows in this because it. <laughs> but it, legitimately speaking, there are, there are. Very different reasons for why it throws me off. For one, like, you know, Peter has a hard time doing a list for TV seasons because he gets like, he well, he isn't sure how to compare, you know, seasons of televisions because, you know, it's, you know, a different number of episodes. You know, some seasons are earlier in a show's run. Some seasons are later in a show's run. Like it, it feels, he feels weird about it. I don't at all, but he has a big issue over it. Where mm-hmm. my big issue lies in, it's like, I think ranking t- TV shows and movies are fine, but when you throw them in together, number one, it's weird. Number two, it makes it even more difficult. Mm-hmm. Because if I were to include certain TV shows, well, let me just say, if I were to include WandaVision, Falcon, and Loki in this... Well, those aren't the only TV shows that kind of sort of connect to the MCU first and foremost. So if I were to include those shows, I mean the Disney Plus series, first of all, why isn't What If in this list? Isn't that supposed to be quote-unquote canon and yet it's been mysteriously left out? Mm. I know it's a multiverse show, but it's... it's uh, you know, the, the Marvel bitches tell me it's canon, so why wasn't What If featured on those lists? That seems pretty suspicious. But, you know, more to the point, everything kind of related to this to this universe, I would put it. So that would include, in my view, the, what, what 10 or 12, however, uh, shows that were produced by Marvel Entertainment, because if people forget, Marvel uh, Studios uh, President Chief Kevin Feige uh, basically treated those shows, 
you know, in their original broadcasts, as they were extensions of the MCU, we all know for various reasons why that no longer is the case. Fact of the matter is, at one point in time, they were looked at to be extensions in this universe, and I guess it's up to the individual person to decide what they want to view of the MCU, right? But at the same time, that also just muddies the water and it complicates things even further. Um, but it's also with the shows, like you have, like, here's the thing you have several episodes, which means a longer runtime, which means more focus on, on character. And I feel like we've already established that for whatever reason with the three Marvel TV shows, they've been able to have a much sharper focus on character development mm -hmm. that a lot of the movies just can't have. So in some ways, it's just not fair to the movies to include those shows, <laughs> first and foremost. And that's just the Disney Plus series. If I were to include the stuff from like the ABC television network or even or the Netflix shows, well, that... Honestly, I'd like to see a version of that. It'd be weird, but I like but I think um it would kind of be it would be difficult also to figure out where exactly they would land. I my guess would be is they would be pretty fucking high. Some of them would be pretty fucking high. Mm -hmm. Some of them would be fucking last. I <laughs> <laughs> mean, I think we can all agree that if we were to include those TV shows, Ant-Man and the Wasp here's a it would be a race to the bottom between ant-man and the wasp and the inhumans mm. because here's the thing the inhumans is probably is the worst but at least it made me laugh <laughs> which is a lot really it did which is a lot more than than ant-man and the wasp which is a movie that is supposedly designed to make you laugh mm -hmm. only it never once did so Inhumans is technically the worst thing they ever made that's not even a question but do I hate it as much as I do Ant-Man and the Wasp no <laughs> so uh, you see how things were mm -hmm. uh, are like and I let's see like where would you put Daredevil I know Daredevil is your favorite Marvel show where would you put that with all like if you were to put it in a list of movies if you can't even imagine that that's hard right I mean honestly I think I'd probably put it in the top five yes would it get number one probably not it's hard man it's hard mm. I think Daredevil definitely deserves a, a top <sighs> fuck I would say, no, easily a top 10 spot. It had to, I think, it deserves a top 10 spot. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, but here's also the thing. With, let's say, like, if you were to include S.H.I.E.L.D., that's seven years mm -hmm. of, like, episodes, right? That's seven years, and that's a lot more time. I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has the most number of minutes, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> 136 episodes? So, I don't know, that's kind of an unfair advantage of some of these people. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be real uh, uh, with you. So, yeah. More to the point, um, we have been talking about doing a list like this. Mm-hmm. Where we, 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 where we, if we were to include the TV show. So, I don't know. We'll talk about it, David and I, and we'll decide if we want to do that or not. Mm -hmm. But 
That'll make it interesting. So, now with that out of the way with, let's go ahead and talk about the Eternals. Um, David, before you even give your thoughts um, on the movie, I know I started off the episode with like kind of a long preamble, as I always do, of course, but just to catch people up of like how the 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 lay of the land has been with um, our group's takes on the Eternals. What have you made? Um, I, after listening to all of all of the talk and all of the debate, not so much at this point. I'm not asking you what do you make of the movie. What have you made of our reactions mm. of the movie? No, I mean, I think it made sense. Everyone's reactions. Um, I haven't finished the fantasy for one, so I don't really know much about Kyle's take on it. But I mean, he liked it. Like, he liked it a, the least. So. Um, but again, I understand everyone's reactions because even I was kind of like, I know I liked it, but oof, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and so it was just mostly interesting kind of like seeing what everyone took from the movie. Like they know they saw this and this in the movie, but like kind of, I guess some other stuff went over your guys' head. Uh, but then it's also just kind of interesting to see like what you guys enjoyed more about the movie than the other. Um, mm-hmm. But like all of it had just mostly had to do with character still, like, but it was always a focus on the specific character and what their motivations were. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah. Listening to everyone, everyone's takes on it. It was, it was really interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll say some of it was surprising. Like I told you, I'm surprised. I walked out of the first screening kind of not caring about it and sad. Um, I'm thinking pretty viciously toward the movie. I walk out of it a second time and I'm like, did I like this? <laughs> and then I went to go see it again with Peter. And I walk and you know what? I was I was sitting there. At this point we had our I had already talked about it with Alexis and Kyle, and I had already talked about it with Peter. And I gotta be honest though, it's like I'm 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 sitting here and watching it for the third time felt like I was watching it for the first time. Like I feel like I understood a lot more like what you know Chloe Zhao was getting at. And I know like it's not a good defense to where like, oh, now you can fill in the blanks of stuff that you didn't see. Um and to be fair no one really i feel in our group is using that as defenses i mean if if that's an issue there's no defense really and yeah you're probably right about it but i think it just depends on who you are as to like if you're willing to overlook that and appreciate what is there and i think that was my overall experience the third time it's just like you know um for whatever reason maybe it's just me accepting the movie for what it is but I was really, really enjoying it that third time. Honestly, like that third, I know I made a big deal about how the flashbacks kind of threw off the pacing and the editing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my first initial thoughts of it. But by that third viewing, that uh, it wasn't a problem. What in the least? It wasn't. Um, I even enjoyed Richard Madden as Icarus that third time. Uh, where... I kind of didn't the first two times. Uh, yeah, man. It's like, it's a weird journey. I don't think I can ever, I, I'm not sure I've ever had that experience where I've gone from 
not liking it to thinking that I liked it to now. No, no, I think I, no, I know I like this. And I think why it's at number 11, why I put it that high because it aims so high and above all, it's interesting. And even though some things are a miss, the attempt and the beauty in that movie are more of what I want Marvel to do. And for better or for worse, I have retained the movie in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of like thinking about it and feeling it after having seen it. And you can make a good argument that Shang-Chi is technically speaking from a structural standpoint a better movie. I think there is something to be said for the fact that it hasn't stayed with me. You know, when I le- when Shang-Chi left my mind, basically after we talked about the podcast, after we talked about it on the podcast, Shang-Chi, the review, I haven't thought about it since. But with Eternals, though, I've constantly been thinking about it. I've even uh, went back and listened to uh, the score, which is really good, by the way. Um, So, yeah. And then with Peter, what was surprising is his entire reaction was surprising to me. I was thinking he was going to like not be hot on the movie, but like same, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's like you just like and when he said he liked it, I was like blown away. Like what? Okay, this is and it felt a lot like um how they punked me on fucking Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. <laughs> uh, remember, they did an After Dark uh, video where Peter spent the first couple of minutes saying that he hated the movie. And then, like, halfway through, he was like, actually, I'm BSing. I just wanted to fuck with Alexis. I, I loved it. <laughs> if you can remember that from a couple of years ago. So, I was so surprised. Yeah, honestly... For real, though, me too. Like, I was waiting for him to be like, oh, I feel different. Or like, oh, I hated this or something like that. But no, he straight up said, I liked it. I'm like, really? <laughs> and and then I, it's, I'm basically the same as Peter, though. Like, I, I did like the movie. It's just there was some problems with it. And a lot of it just had to do because there was so many characters in the movie that more than half of it was just introduction, introduction, introduction. And so, and then because there was so much introduction, there wasn't and everything that was set up with these characters. There wasn't really anything that like backed up their motivation or anything, at least to me. So, so like with Cersei, you know, I, I don't really, see what her struggle was honestly like i know she had the responsibility of being the leader now and she has to make like the the big choice of mm-hmm. uh saving the world or destroying a celestial but like i just never really there wasn't really a moment for her to be like to have that struggle it was just sort of uh, it's not that clear right because there are moments where she in my mind, what are the moments that she struggles, quote unquote, right? So she very clearly is heartbroken over the fact that um, Icarus murdered, spoilers, murdered um, Ajax and has been lying to her the whole time um, and kind of feels hopeless that he's now standing in the way 
of them putting the eternal to sleep. Mm-hmm. I think so. I, I feel the movie was trying to make it seem as if the big struggle for Cersei at the end of the day was, would she sacrifice the life of a celestial? Does she love the people of this planet so much to the point that she would kill a celestial? Mm-hmm. The problem is that's not really a struggle that's introduced until basically the end of the movie. Well, I mean, I think that would have, I think that was a struggle in the middle of the movie for everyone. Yeah, because and it was an interesting thing uh, for them to talk about, like, do we sacrifice someone that's going to make a thousand more planets, or right, right, <laughs> do we save this planet? And so, but again, though, for me, there wasn't like a lot of. It was kind of inner, thrown, it was inner thrown, turmoil. Yeah, I guess it was just for one thing that that sort of debate was added in the middle of the movie. Again, yes. interesting, and I like their conversations. I like what uh, Kingo. Yes, Kingo Kumail. Kumail. I was just Kumail. Uh, Kumail's decision was uh, in the end. I thought I thought it was like really mm. interesting. Um. But then everything else beforehand, I think the only one, the only character, honestly, that had like a good setup and payoff was Sprite. Um, mm. I noticed from the very beginning that like she wasn't okay with um, Cersei and Nicker's marriage and all that. She was pretty jealous about it. And I like that bit uh, also in the beginning where she was at the bar and she made like an illusion of herself, making herself look older. I was like, uh-huh. that's cool. And so it's just, and so you just had little moments of her being. Uh, she's still being seen as the the child of the group, even though she's <laughs> seven thousand years old and yeah. everything. And so I liked her motivation uh, in the end, uh, her going to Icarus and all that. <laughs> <laughs> and she got fucking knocked out at the end, like to stop her. Oh my god! I was... every time I think about that, I just break out in laughter. <laughs> even no man, even the third time I saw it. Peter and I were just cracking up. Even the theater is just like, it's cause it's just funny. <laughs> it it comes out of nowhere too, and <laughs> and they like you you're seeing a little 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 kid like getting hit in the head, and you're just kind of like, oh my god, are you okay? And so, but then the, oh my god, it was just it's so funny. I don't know why. <laughs> Sorry, um, but yeah. But everyone else, though, it was just, again, it wasn't a lot of backup to their, uh, to what was set up in the beginning, especially with um that one guy, the the inventor, um, Fastos. Fastos, you know, they were just like, oh, he doesn't like humanity anymore. And you see the reason. It's like, okay, cool. The next scene, he has a family. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it, yeah, they're it's it's very much like it's like you're watching a. Maybe a season of TV and fast forward or something. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. did we skip some things here? Yeah. That's very much indicative of how the movie is. It's like, um, it's uh, messy, um, but it also very much feels like um, a lot of the development of these characters we just don't see. And I kind of very much like... I feel like at some point maybe the decision was made like, look, the only way I'm going to be able to make this work, Zhao, is like, I'm just going to have to, even though like, that's, 
that's kind of indefensible, really, when it comes to a movie. It's like, I'm just going to have to trust people fill in the blanks as to, like, what happens in a story that takes place throughout the course of 7,000 years. Um, which isn't really kind of – it's not really a good defense, but it's the only one I can come up with. It's like, well, I guess there's that. And if you're willing to, like – if you can mm-hmm. see the blanks that were missed, maybe you can enjoy it the more, like – but still, like, you're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we jump from like him being devastated to him having a family. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. And then now the thing that I did like, like the most about the movie, about what made me like the movie, for one thing, the characters. Uh, yeah. Despite their motivations and all that, I found them to be really funny. I found them to be entertaining. I especially like Gilgamesh. Uh, yeah, he like was cool, his man. His introduction. Yeah. I mean, not, not just like in the beginning, like how he fought and everything. Yeah. Um, But also just kind of like, what you in that bit in the begin or in the middle of the movie, like how he spent his like whole seven thousand years here, um, I just found it really entertaining, and I actually did wind up caring about him uh, until he died. Yeah, again, spoilers. Um, and also I just and then what I found int- the most interesting part though is that the whole time with him, his and Tina's uh relationship. I was waiting for the moment to like maybe they kiss or one of them says like they love each other or something. And I was like, dang, like it, this is how like movies kind of like warp my mind a bit. Like I was waiting for that moment where they like say right. they love each other. I'm like, no, they can just care about each other. They can yeah. just be friends. And so they love something- each other in, in a different way. But I think you uh, real quick that that scene, I think. Look, this is a great reminder of how great an actor Angelina Jolie is. Mm-hmm. I think she definitely sold um, that moment when she realized that Gilgamesh died. And then even also just like the the quiet moment she had when she has his ashes and then just sprinkling them in the water. It was beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. Or even later on in the film when that uh, that deviant is pretty much like – Using a stolen memory. It's kind of like how Hive did in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. There's my quota, guys. I mentioned Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and put in a reference in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, where he would use stolen memories of people he killed and absorbed. Um, did you, by the way, I haven't mentioned this. Every time it's been so cool. When Thena sliced up that deviant. Mm. Mm, <laughs> that was that was good to see. Mm-hmm. That was like an oh shit moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I just kind of like. I I really like what Chloe Zhao did with that relationship. It's just kind of like it's very different from any other it movie. Mm-hmm. And so I I definitely want to rewatch the movie just for that, just to kind of like get my mind off of the fact that no, they're not a couple, they're not married or anything. Like they, right. these are just good fucking friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the big thing that I liked is that it's just a movie about a family, basically about like just. Yeah. Uh, sticking together uh, through thick and thin, and so with Icarus's turn, I did find it a bit surprising. Like I knew from the trailers and like what people were theorizing that he was going to be the villain, but throughout the movie, I was like, "How is he going to be the villain? I don't understand." <laughs> but then when you finally see the turn, uh-huh. I'm like, "Okay, that's where he becomes the or like that's where you see the villain side of it. I didn't walk into the movie expecting or um, having any kind of mind that Icarus would be a bad guy. Mm. However, 
I got really suspicious of him. Um, halfway through the movie, hmm. where Cersei finds out what the emergence is, and she tells everybody what the real mission was. And I remember that. I I immediately remember the trailer. Wait, wait a minute. Isn't didn't in the trailer, Ajax? We see the the scene where Ajax tells um Icarus I guess the beginning portion of it because in the trailer for Eternals Ajax like five years ago the people of uh, Thanos wiped out half of existence with a snap of uh, and then the people of this planet brought them back with the snap of the fingers and we hadn't seen that scene we've already seen that Ajax was killed but we hadn't seen that scene between um Ajax and Icarus and so in my mind I'm like this fucker knows Mm -hmm. and I'm like did he huh Mm -hmm. there's something suspicious going on here and then you know lo and behold as the movie progresses then we find out what actually happened and I'm like fucking bitch Mm. Uh, of course yeah I forgot about that part of the trailer when I first saw it so it was it still came as a surprise for me (laughs) that's funny and you were expecting Icarus to be the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just kind of like, I just, I was waiting for like, okay, what's he going to do to the team that's going to like mess them up? And then I saw uh-huh. what he did. <laughs> so. At least it wasn't a ransom moment. <laughs> oh my god was to, for those who are not aware I'm talking about Ransom the character the Chris Evans character from the Ryan Johnson whodunit Knives Out um, a tremendous movie um and I evidently spoiled it for David <laughs> the twist <laughs> with that character. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you still enjoyed it, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, again, it's it's really a story about family sticking together through thick of things. Oh, no, I meant Knives Out. <laughs> oh, Knives Out. That yeah, is, I still like that. It's also a story about family, but in a different kind of family. Oh, yeah. I love Knives Out. It was, yeah. it was great. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, what else did you love about the movie? Um. Or dislike? Uh, mm, uh, well, Ajax, she should have been in it more. <laughs> right? You see, I wasn't alone in this. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah, let me tell sure. you, what Alexis shared of, of Salma Hayek's, in one of her interviews, I think it was with one of the, the Spanish language networks. Um, That was a really, I'm not, did she show you? Mm-hmm. That was a yes, really yeah. emotional thing to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and good for Salma Hayek, who is you know um, a Latina in her fifties in Hollywood and, and getting roles like this. But you know, she in this interview she's describing what it was like to put it, the costume on for the first time and how she couldn't believe how a little girl like her, you know, with you know her brown skin and thinking about where she came from as a kid, to be able to have something to be able to wear something like this and basically be at the you know at the top of the hill and to think of what other little girls would think of when they see this, like it's definitely um, groundbreaking. And for me, especially, um, you know, I just realized this myself about like why I liked her so much in this role. And I, I, and I understand, I think there have been other actors in the MCU that are of Latin descent or have, um, some kind of relation 
to being um in the Latino community, like Zoe Saldana, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing with with Zoe, she's green. So I'm not really thinking about the fact that she's in that ethnicity because she's always with that with that makeup and everything. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, you know, and I'm not counting um what's his name? Uh Luis from Ant-Man. Because he's not really, the, he's not the lead. Or he's, he's not, not one lead, of the leads. He's not really yeah. a superhero. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, he's literally just uh, the side, well, not even the sidekick, obviously. He's just the comic, he's just comedic there. relief. Yeah. Um, but I think like Sama Hayek, I can, I think she, we can easily say she's the only Mexican, like, I mean, not just Hispanic, but just Mexican who in a Marvel movie I'm talking about the movies here. I don't want to piss off Natalia, Natalia Cordova Buckley because she has said some things on Twitter that are pretty interesting. Maybe I'll share it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's the only Mexican, I think, that has been the lead, mm-hmm. a, a lead in an ensemble, but still, uh, she is heavily used in the, in the marketing of the movie that I can think of in the MCU, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm not missing anybody. I mean, in the MCU, yeah. Uh, Miles Morales is half short. He's not in the MCU. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, in the MCU, semi Hayek, but, you know, you got Miles, sort of. Uh, But, I mean, still, for Samma. Yeah, it's basically just her. (laughs) Yeah. So, I I, I mean, I'm not sure if if I made a point, but she was one of the reasons I was excited to see the movie. And you know what? She's great. She's great in every scene she's in. I yeah. would have loved more. Mm-hmm. That was my only issue. I was kind of disappointed to see that she was the first one killed off. Like, really? Mm-hmm. Of all the people, this is the one? And so I think, like, even while me not necessarily, like, overtly demanding it for years and years, the fact that her presence and how I responded so, like, negatively to her being off off immediately, just like, okay, maybe this did mean to me subconsciously the entire time and it means a lot to have someone that looks like you on that screen does make the difference and also just makes you question why hasn't there been more latinos um Mm -hmm. in the leads of these movies yeah that's a good question um Mm -hmm. so yeah let me just um read to you real quick i know i sent it to you didn't i uh, you sent one tweet, yes, but I don't know if there was more. Yesterday, yesterday um, anyway, that clip of Salma Hayek was beautiful, and I hope everyone goes out and see it, because um, she definitely had an emotional experience, and uh, people had emotional experiences to her talking about her emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone tagged Natalia Cordova Buckley, who played um elena rodriguez or elena yo-yo rodriguez on the agents of shield tv show that's number two today guys bring it back to shield um and she actually responded to it um and that is uh how you know buzzfeed had mentioned that sama hayek was added to a short list of other latinas like zoe saldana and tessa thompson i did not know tessa thompson was a latina but okay who have graced the mc with their presence um, and the impact of another Latina joining the franchise that isn't, you know, lost on Selma at all. And of course, to be fair to BuzzFeed, they're talking about the movies here. Um, but there have been other superheroes, quote unquote, um, 
more than just the movies that have had, you know, some presence. So Natalia, who, by the way, I should say is very socialist. Um, and that's a good thing, by the way, in case anybody was, you know, mincing words there. Um, but I think she brought up a pretty fair point, And that is like, I'm not famous, technically speaking. I'm not on TV. Uh, I mean, excuse me. I am on TV, which is treated as less than film. Um, that's changing somewhat, but that's still, I'd, I'd say, technically true. Even though for the last decades it's been producing better content than films. That, you know, again, depending on the, on what you mean, on which projects, but that can be true. It's not only the world that holds an elitist system. It's also our industry and the media. You don't get mentioned unless you're someone. So she's now, I think, the second person attached to S.H.I.E.L.D. that has um, made some headlines. Well, I'm not even sure this is a headline, but she's made comments about how they're just ignored. Remember a few years ago, um, Chloe Bennett yeah. literally said, Marvel doesn't care about our show. I think she said it at a convention, literally, just mm. like that. So it ain't just us, guys. It has been noticed, it seems like, um, how something is just completely and totally ignored at every turn. Mm -hmm. There, I'll stop there, guys. <laughs> anyway, um, what were we saying about Ajax? Oh, yes. Is Thank she, you for, just... for agreeing with me that she was kind of underused. Yeah, for sure. And again, it's just another character that, like, you know, there was something set up, but I feel like there was nothing really to back it up. But I mean, her her setup was it's kind of complicated because um, I like the idea that like, you know, oh, I think there's something with these humans and all that, blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. then like, I feel like if you're going to back that up, you're going to have to mention the other movies and <laughs> you, you want to make this movie stand out on its own. But then at the same time, you got to reference the other movies because mm -hmm. I mean, something big happened. And so it's uh, her with her character. It's kind of difficult, but yeah. <laughs> but with Ajax, it's like even she says to Icarus that you know for the five hundred years they were apart, she you know was walking among them, and while she's seen more of you know how destructive and um, evil humans can be, she also you know discovered. That at every turn, with all the hate that's out there, there's still love. There's still creations. And I think that point, she was convinced. But that wasn't, I would say, the origin of her noticing something. I feel like those 500 years and she was walking among people is where she was like, that's what put her over the edge of like going against Arishim's design. But if you notice the first scene where she, I think they're in Babylon, and she contacts Arishem, and she says to him, I've uh, I followed you and never questioned you, but I've noticed something about these people, and I fear, and then he, you know, she was cut off. So I think that scene was to suggest that even as far back as Babylonian times, she was noticing something about the people that destroying them was just not worth the life of a celestial just already there mm -hmm. i'm not sure how implied i mean i'm not sure how um 
if that implication was caught by most people, but it certainly makes sense looking back on it like, okay, this is how early she was thinking about this. I preferably would have liked to have seen um, a sequence where we see her be changed by these people as mm-hmm. she says herself. Like that, that's a, that's a big problem with the movie, right? It's like we we're told so much of what happens. We just don't see it. Yeah. And I feel like you really could have, for one thing, the movie, you could have edited it down. <laughs> uh, Two hours and 37 minutes already. That crawl in the beginning. You could have cut it out in the beginning. They mentioned a bunch of times what the deviants are. What that's the, the thing, are. right? It's like, you know, the crawl is, I'm not, is it really? I mean, if it looked and it almost felt like a Star Wars crawl, but it didn't move. It was just text at the beginning. Okay. It was okay, like a the prologue. Text at the beginning. Okay, sure. But you're right, though. Like it, it said things that were repeated often throughout the movie. So I'm not sure what the purpose ultimately was. Mm-hmm. So I would have taken it out. But what I do respect, though, is how unlike Marvel that was. You know, like I, I, I respect the, uh, the approach by Zhao to like off the bat, just do something different. Cause that was a surprise. Like, Oh, okay. Did I just walk into a Star Wars movie? We... Kyle hilariously was like, great. Now I have to read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although you, you honestly don't need to read it cause they'll tell you everything in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I guess that kind of defeated the purpose of having the, that in the first place. Mm-hmm. But then also, um, all of the flashback moments, you could have had her in it and like trying to get whichever character she's hanging out with, like get through whatever hard moment they're they're having and all that. But then also like and she could have used the humans as a motivation for them to keep going on uh, walking this earth and all that. I don't know. It's just she you could have been she could have been used a whole lot more. and You could have done like gr- something great with her to really like set up her motivation and what led everyone else's motivation basically ironically enough maybe what would have helped although marvel i'm not even sure they would let themselves do it realistically what would have been the best situation was the medium and the storytelling medium of television would have helped out because you would have had the time to stretch out you know and appropriately address all these characters the problem with it being a tv show is you wouldn't have had the budget that the movie had and it wouldn't look as great as it does. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking maybe what they could have done with this is just do what Denny Villeneuve did with Dune. Maybe Eternals part. part one, Eternals part two. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would have worked better. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe it could have been trashed even more. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I doubt it for if it's, if they announced it from the beginning that it was going to be a two-parter, I doubt it would have been trashed. Mm. Um, some people would have been like, mm, "I feel this." They would, I think, they would have said the same thing with doing it. Like they would have been like, "Oh, this feels like the introduction of a movie and all that," and it just kind of, it felt an abrupt ending. It felt like an an abrupt ending, right? Um. So, but I feel like they would have been a lot more forgiving for Marvel than with Dune. Oh, absolutely. 
because we've established that people are much more forgiving because they love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, Peter talked about it in one of the podcasts, but it's 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 uh, evident that a lot of people, you know, grade the movies by Marvel on a curve just because of how popular the MCU universe is. Even Grace Randolph herself said it in one of her recent videos that yes, yes, critics do grade the Marvel movies on a curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty evident to me. Um, interestingly enough, though, it you clearly didn't put this movie at the bottom of your MCU list. Mm-hmm. What have you made of the uh, the fact that like n- less than fifty percent of the critics liked the movie? The, and like, what what is it about this one more than the other ones? Because it's pretty, I think, crazy to think that Eternals by Chloe Zhao is the worst thing the MCU has made. Because clearly it is not. It is not. No. Not Ant-Man, even close. Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, I'm sorry, but it's boring. The <laughs> jokes didn't land. The For one thing, Eternals had a way better uh, third act than... Uh, yeah. Uh, had a, I think Ant-Man it, and the Wasp. I'm going to say, I think it had a better third act than a lot of Marvel movies. Yeah, for sure. Just because, uh, I mean, their power sets were really unique, each and one of them, and they utilized them very fucking well, especially yeah. for Makari. Yeah. Um, her oh gosh, thing she was amazing. Literally the best speedster I've seen, okay? And I've seen... <laughs> I've a seen lot the of show. speedsters, yeah. I've seen the uh, Zack Snyder's movie... But I mean, she was utilized so fucking well with this, and it was great. It, again, great third act for the whole. It kind of makes you like, hmm, because there's a Flash movie coming out next year. Mm-hmm. Man, did did Eternals just kind of steal their thunder a little bit there? Because mm-hmm. like Macari was pretty fucking amazing, and I wasn't expecting that. I got to be honest with you, I really wasn't. Yeah, but she was. She was. She was great. As you said, but no, uh, yeah, we were talking more about the third act and all the different things that are in it, like the powers. Um, it also just, even though like structurally speaking, it's the same thing, right? It's like you're, you're superheroes and they have to stop the thing from the world ending. Structurally, it's the same thing, but it still feels kind of different. And I have to think it's because. First of all, it's the unique power sets. Mm-hmm. It's it's also the location too, right? It, it doesn't feel like we're in an Atlanta soundstage. It it feels like we're on an island with the the scenery of the beach. as it's about to, as it's kind of like ripped apart with you know a volcano and a celestial is literally popping up from under the crust of the earth, like. It definitely looked very different than any other Marvel third act. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's just Chloe Zhao utilized everything, the scenery, the characters, the power sets, um, and the the stakes of it. Um, the thing with um, Shang-Chi and Black Widow, you mentioned it was a freaking soundstage. It was all CGI and everything. <laughs> And the CGI so, and Black Widow especially. Oh my wow. god! And, yeah, and so you just you're already um, taking out of it because of it. But then also, 
um, you know, the one thing that bothered me in Shang-Chi's third act is when I liked the big monster fight, the CGI monster fight. Like, I thought that was cool. But then it would cut to Shang-Chi and his sister, um, like, holding on to the dragon. But yeah. all they're doing is just looking. And I'm kind of like, at the very least, just try to climb <laughs> forward or something. You know, just kind of do do something. Or, like, have uh, Shang and his sister, all again, moving up towards the dragon's head but also have him like keep throwing the rings back and forth just to kind of like get them right. away from the other monsters you know whereas with uh with eternals again everyone's fighting along i, I was so fucking surprising to see um the tech guy actually like fighting him bringing out laser right and everything, right and then, like, he yeah. actually like holds fast holds down I- icarus yeah. and all that I was kind of like, oh my gosh, like he's actually useful. <laughs> like right? he's not just, he's not just the, the tech guy. Right. And so there was just a lot of surprises within the third act. And then with Black Widow, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was all hand to hand combat. Just, we've already seen that like a million times. I don't know what else they could have done differently. Um, well, for one thing, uh, what's, what's his name? The dad? The dad, Black Widow's dad. Oh, um, um, David Harbour. Yeah, David Harbour. He was just sort of like sideline. You know, I feel like you could have been a lot more. I mean, you, this could have been a dude. I, um, I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember where he was in the third act. Yeah, he's just following Black Widow, and you could have done it. You could have done an Incredibles moment where they're all working together. He's like, you know, he, uh, the dad is like backing trying to like get all the women to step away from them uh the mom maybe is trying to like shoot people from the back and then and then have uh black widow and her sister just teaming up fighting together and all that and then at one point do the the whole black widow pose and she's just like fine it's fun or something i don't know like you could have just done you could have done a lot more Mm -hmm. with the last fight but they rather and but the thing though it's kind of hard to do that because you don't, you don't, they don't know how, what the stage looks like yet. It all has to be done in post. And so what all they can do is just. Right. Okay, so I guess well, what helped, this. I guess what helped the ensemble with Eternals is I'm going to assume they actually went to a beach mm-hmm. or something. Cause like it felt like very little of this movie felt like we were on like on actual sets that the whole thing feels to an extent like it was, it was aside from like, okay, the Babylonian shots or maybe some of the, when they were in the history, but a lot of the shots felt like they went out on location. Like this, that particular third act felt like they were at a beach. And Mm -hmm. so maybe that helped them. Um, I feel like there were pictures of them on, on that, uh, beach. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember. So I'm pretty sure it was, uh, on location that last fight but that's um, what i've been saying right it's like i've been saying for years now that marvel was has been overly reliant on blue walls and sound stages and parking garage garages and like i think with eternals you see how much more worthwhile it is to go on location and more mm-hmm. practical stuff as well not just you know i know like with infinity war and endgame those movies were entirely VFX, but they were good. They but were great. The, the thing though, battle the battle in Wakanda, that was on location. It That's, wasn't like yes. you know they weren't 
I don't, I don't think they were in Africa or anything, but that was like an open field. They actually, they literally created a river just so they can just add more stuff to the place. Oh. And again, they, they utilized that. It was so, it's still one of my favorite shots, but when Captain America and Black Panther are running together, just yeah. like booking it, running past their army. And then when they jump over the river, like it's just, you know, it's a small thing, but like that, that kind of just adds more dynamic to the fight you know they just, mm-hmm. they're ready they're ready to jump in and they start fighting all of them <laughs> with leaving behind their army <laughs> right right and all that. And so again they're utilizing the scenery as much as they can um a couple of things uh, I, I don't want to let this go because there's some there's an anomaly here right so the same team does the VFX for all the Marvel movies? Okay. A couple of things. Back to Black Widow. That whole third act. It's pretty fucking embarrassing how bad that looked. Because it's trying to be a spy franchise. It's trying, mm-hmm. to, it's trying to emulate the best of the spy movies. But then when you look at No Time to Die, and you look how fucking amazing all of the action sequences were, Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, <laughs> they, they blew her out of the water. It really yeah. did. Now, okay, both Black Widow and Shang-Chi had some moments where the CGI, or shall we just say the, the, the VFX failed them so to the point where the CGI did not, just have an effect to it that looked noticeable, but just bad and ugly. Mm -hmm. We established that this has been a reoccurring thing. However, I've been saying that Infinity War and Endgame didn't have those problems. And Peter's theory of the case was, well, because those were priorities. And so they had to look great. Whereas... These others, I guess, don't. And I feel that's kind of another, you know, that also proves Peter's other theory of the case where Marvel's just making too many movies. This wasn't Mm -hmm. a problem when they were making a movie a year or two movies a year. Mm -hmm. But now we're up to four. Well, were these supposed to come out in the same year? Because, again, COVID they were kind of not. Screwed. No, they were so. not. Like, I think last year we were supposed to get Black Widow. That's for sure. And I I think we were going to get – I don't – I think we were going to get – I don't know what happened with, where, when we were supposed – I think we were supposed to get Eternals earlier. I think maybe I think last so. year. Yeah. That's true. I think Eternals was supposed to be a 2020 movie. Mm-hmm. And so. then that one got delayed. So you think maybe Eternals got more time? Because Eternals looked great. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know which movie got more time or anything. It's just, it really was kind of priority, I guess. You know, I, honestly, Black Widow, they didn't really care at that point. They just were like, okay, we got to give her a movie <laughs> at least for the God fans. damn. <laughs> and so they just threw whatever they could, uh-huh. you know. Whereas with Eternals, you know, that's part of their new their new show you mm-hmm. know and so they want to like make it look great and all but then also i mean i don't know like, uh what helps vfx artists the most is just kind of like 
uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I've never worked on a movie. I don't know how VFX works, but I feel like there's some things a director can do to help VFX artists make their job a little bit easier. Like with know? everything, mm-hmm. the director of a movie matters. Mm-hmm. And like with, for example, Dune, you know, people pointed out that that budget was way lower than Black Widow. Or not way lower, but like lower than well, Black a, Widow. A lot lower, honestly. Oh, okay. That's yeah. no, that's for sure. It was a lot lower than Black well, Black Widow. I think may have been almost a hundred million dollars more. Uh, then yeah, at least two fifty. I'm thinking at least two fifty mm-hmm. million, and I think Dune was at the one sixty range. Mm-hmm. And I mean, with Dune, um, there was a moment. In Dune, where the CGI looked, it wasn't bad, but like you could tell, like okay, this was heavily CG'd. Um, uh, it was uh, this big battle moment. Uh, I won't spoil it much. And but then everything else, though, uh, what helped it for one thing, some of it took place at night. That's always very helpful. That's why to this day, Jurassic Park, uh, that scene with the T Rex in the rain, uh, it's still one of the best CGI moments. It's because it's dark. Very helpful for them. But then also you get moments where, you know, they're from a far distance away. So it's kind of easier to kind of give it like a little haze for distance Mm -hmm. and to work the CGI and all that. And so and I think I don't know about um, the movie sets, but it feels like they created a lot of sets for the movie. So they they weren't and the, the costumes were all practical. So there wasn't really much else to do other than just fix maybe use some sort of vfx to fix up the image or something like that so there's a lot of things a um a director can do to help the vfx artists um make the jobs easier whereas with black widow though it was just like you guys got to do everything (laughs) you know hey here's this light here's the source of the light here's the key light now you gotta make uh make her fit in it and so now so then now you have one person relying on making a a helicopter, the sky, mo- uh, certain motions, certain debris falling in the third act and all that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just making things more and more complicated. And with the fact that VFX artists, like, mm, they're kind of, I don't know, underpaid, overworked a lot yes, already. They're underpaid, so, they're overworked. And more to that point, um, again, people... Mm, Take this. Uh, some people are angry when she's used as a source, but I have reason to expect that a lot of the stuff she says about Marvel is to be true. I know Randolph said some inaccurate statements that the 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 people who work in VFX for a movie also do a trailer. No, it's been long known that there are literal movie trailer companies with their own teams that do this. Perhaps I think what she meant to say is the fact that um, she hears that people tell her that the, the, the team that's doing the VFX for Spider-Man No Way Home are working seven days a week just to be able to get the movie done on time for December. Not just them, but then also they got a little bit more time now that the movie was been delayed a few months, which was Multiverse of Madness. But there is reason to believe that, you know, how a few weeks back, Marvel announced that all their movies were moving back a couple of months, all because to give all for um, their VFX teams, because they just need more time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hope that means the quality is going to come back up to what it was, you know, mm-hmm. but I got to mm-hmm. like, 
David, when did you begin to notice this problem with VFX and Marvel movies? Because, or was it always a problem? I don't think it was a problem until they started doing three movies a year. Um, when did I notice it? It's hard mm-hmm. to see which I one mean, it was. I guess Black Panther. Um, that one. That I mean, that Black Panther was literally the first time I've ever complained about the CGI of any movie. Uh, I will say, I, I just thought of it. Twenty seventeen. There are two movies, two I th- that are actually were in my top ten. They're great overall, but I noticed a couple of sequences that were very noticeably. You're this is a blue wall behind you. Like I could tell this is pretty not great. Thor Ragnarok and Guardians 2. Guardians 2, the whole scene where Ego and um Peter are playing catch. Mm-hmm. Man, you go back and look at that. That yeah. is a pretty just like that's nothing. It's just the animation around them, and it's noticeably animated. Mm-hmm. In Thor Ragnarok, I think when they're in um, Norway and Odin is saying goodbye to Loki and Thor, the background's fake, and it's noticeably fake. Mm-hmm. Well, I think for that one at least, I mean, it's still bad, but for that one, I think that was kind of like a last-minute shoot. Uh, yeah, because I there's been some. I think there's like a deleted scene, uh, and some pictures uh-huh. of Odin. You know, he's dressed up like a hobo and everything, like just super dirty. Right. And so I'm guessing that one was first, and this one was at later. I don't know why, but yeah. But I mean, either way, um, it was still pretty bad, and that just kind of shows like the effects are just need time. Um, to work on this shit. But you're right, though. I think it was even more noticeable in Black Panther. And mm-hmm. I, I, I convinced myself it was because I wasn't so hot on the purple hue that his... or the purple energy beam that would come off or the force field of his suit in the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was that, but I just genuinely don't think it looks that great. And there were even some shots of the Black Panther himself where it's like I can tell this is this this isn't real whereas like cuz look at Captain America Civil War every scene with Black Panther Chadwick Boseman's there that's the mm-hmm. suit he's there he's in a suit and it's not full it's not completely it's not complete there's they have like those uh band on his arm Mm -hmm. to kind of like help with the motion capture of it but either way though like they did enough with the costume so that they didn't have to touch him up a lot it was really just to kind of like put some shiny parts on his helmet uh adding a little bit more details i think it's just basically that just adding like kind of shiny metal looking stuff into his suit Mm -hmm. uh but i think like some of the patterns are still there in it and so Again, just these are just little things to help the VFX artist. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes next. Uh what the other movies coming up. Um 
I, I am wondering, though, how we're going to think about Eternals in the weeks and months to come. Mm-hmm. Because, and I know, I know I've been saying it a couple of times, but it's already aged really well on me. I think the problems I have with the movie, I think I still have. But I think I've just kind of gotten to the place where I appreciate and actually really like the movie and admire what it's going for, where I feel like I can overlook them and just accept the movie for what it is. And I think it's honestly pretty great that, you know, I can have a movie where honestly has some pretty big flaws, pretty big setbacks, but I can still kind of appreciate it uh, and like it as much as I do. Like I said, every Mm -hmm. time I saw it, the more I liked it. And so, yeah, I'd go back and if you have time, David, go back and give it another watch and see how it is. But like Peter, I think, seemed to enjoy it more the second time. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt it. Even more the third time. So, yeah. Um, I think this probably um, is like the upteenth time, perhaps, we all have like the direct opposite take. There, granted, Internals has some diehard fans. It's not like everybody completely hates it, but it has mm-hmm. gotten some hate. And, well, go figure. We're not part of that train. Uh, we actually <laughs> kind of like to dig this movie. Uh with its faults and everything. It, it, it is kind of like a reverse Batman v Superman for us, though. Because Batman Batman v Superman has so many fucking problems. And while there is stuff in there that's great... You kind of have to look hard, though. But there's some, some great stuff in there. Um, It's bad. Like, bad and... Whatever good doesn't like earn any goodwill through it, you know. Like, but there are similarities mm-hmm. where, like, it's long. It does depend on the viewer to fill in the gaps with the main characters there. But what would you say is the different? What's what's different in the case of Eternals where it wasn't with, let's say, BVS or even Justice League? Hmm. I mean, with BVS, I just, I honestly they didn't care about the characters, really. <laughs> yeah, well, that yeah, there's that. Yeah, I mean, I I liked the the gritty Batman and all, like him being violent, but uh, I don't know. It's just nothing about him. I really care for his motivation. Like, I understand the motivation. You know, he saw two dudes just wrecking a city and all that. So, like, I understand why he wants to stop Superman. But, I don't know. Well, I think, well, for one thing, with Batman's character, you know, I, I really do like his no-kill no kill, uh rule in the comics. And so, for him to just go straight to wanting to kill him, it just kind of made me go, mm. I don't care. Like, I kind of wish he would go for it with a he's just trying to suppress his powers <clears throat> see if he can do it more so and then i have honestly i have no idea what was going on with superman's character <laughs> like no one does <laughs> i don't like what was his struggle <laughs> exactly no is it i i don't i don't i think well, i mean i guess that's just 
that that is a big thing. I don't think anything that what the characters were going through really connected. <laughs> like, I, 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 you know what? I'm, I'm sorry for bringing it up in the first place. <laughs> it's just like yeah, let's not relitigate that one. You know, uh, I, I, honestly, like even like, oh my gosh, you said it a bunch of times, uh, uh, in the fantasy fair one, but like the. Eternals movie, it's dense. Like, there's a lot of information to take in, right. but I still understood what was going on right. <laughs> with the characters and the plot. So I don't know. Like, I, I shouldn't that is, really that be confused is, that is a with big BVS. Thing. That is a big thing, though. It's like you're right. We shouldn't be confused with BVS. It's just for there's far less characters. I mean, it's just basically Batman and Superman. Eternals makes us like the characters. That's a strength Marvel has always had. They have likable characters, but there's also enough beside them to care about and to appreciate um and even though like it's like those are there have been some interesting comparisons though because like you know Zack Snyder treats his superheroes like gods and then Chloe Zhao's Eternals are literal gods you know for lack of a better term and I have noticed a lot of comparisons um or even people saying that Chloe Zhao flat out did a DC movie because you know how DC superheroes, I guess, in many ways, um, are perceived as gods. Roth Cornett had a pretty interesting take that I saw earlier today. Roth Cornett, uh, formerly of fandom, or at least I think she's still on there from Screen Junkies. This is where her tweet was. It's pretty late, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking about wading into the eternals conversation if there's conversation to be had one overarching thought is that it is an interesting odd question mark fit as a marvel movie but more than that it's a really good dc movie that's not a quality comparison just that these characters really are more ideas and archetypes than flawed, relatable beings. And they are that way by design. And it's a really interesting take. I mean, I want to unpack this more with Peter, but it's like, I have been noticing a lot of people say that... a lot. Um, I should say, compare this to how Zack Snyder treated his characters in the Justice League. Because Zack Snyder views his views those superheroes as gods more than he does as like actual you know, in, instead of how Marvel treats their superheroes, which their superheroes mm -hmm. are like they're human and they're easy to connect to, right? Um and one common criticism of the Eternals movie is that it's hard to connect with actual gods. I would say what, why people feel that way is because again the movie does a lot of tell not show. That's the problem mm -hmm. more so than anything else. But yeah, that's an interesting area of conversation. But was there any other thoughts you had on Eternals, or are we going to leave it there for now? Mm, I guess we can just leave it there. Okay. Well, um, we had. Oh, what what. Uh, one thing I will say is what I do appreciate of the Eternals is for as much as it still is a Marvel movie, it still is a Chloe Zhao film, 
But I think more so than any other Marvel film, I can see how it feels to me less like a superhero film. Again, it still has the mechanics of a Marvel superhero movie. But it's dressed in a really nice way where it feels like a sci-fi epic more uh, than a superhero movie. Um, Hmm. And Chloe Zhao has said that she used Ridley Scott's, I think Ridley Scott did this movie, Prometheus. Um, did you ever see Prometheus? Mm-hmm. That's an no, interesting one because there's there uh, from the point of view of the engineers, the engineers were apparently gods. So, uh, all just more food for thought there. So, but we also had another sci-fi epic uh, just two weeks before, and that was with Dune, Denis Villeneuve. Um, mm-hmm. Alexis told me that you you uh really liked our uh, the podcast conversation we had peter and i i i thought it rather informative because there were a lot of things i didn't know about this universe or the history of the franchise Mm -hmm. and i thought peter gave uh, a pretty easy understanding of you know to where we can catch up with like the history what some things meant that we didn't catch and it gave us a good picture of like where we're gonna go with this so I, I thought it myself as well, uh, that it was pretty instructive about where we would go. Um, Dune has aged really well for me. It's like it's that one is like the opposite of Eternals, where it's like I have no problems. Well, the, really, no. There are some, I guess, issues, but overall, I loved it the first time. I loved it the second time. It's a great movie. I'm thinking about it still. Can't wait for more. There's that. Mm-hmm. Nah, yeah, I, I loved it too. Um, when you mentioned the podcast you and Peter did, you know, you, like I agree, like it was very informative. I love knowing more about the universe. But the best part though is like I didn't really need to know this <laughs> uh, for in right. the, in the movie. Yeah. You know, it's just you know, like I got enough from it. Um, and I mean, it just, I mean, the movie did what it, I think what he, what Villeneuve wanted to, which is just kind of like, get me sucked into this world. And, um, hopefully like I get, I get the feeling of wanting to follow these characters in the next one, which I really do. <laughs> so I can't wait for part two. Mm. Uh, but honestly though, it's just really, I really do love his, uh, cinematography, uh, work. It's so great the the visuals and all that and i think uh i know some people want, uh com- are comparing it to lord of the rings of you know mm-hmm. big world and all that um and i it did what i i liked about the first lord of the rings movie which is that um all of the all of the characters were just mm. kind <laughs> like they all yeah. cared about each other they all cared about others and i think that's just a good thing to do if you're if, especially if you're gonna like you know really separate uh yeah they the felt real and all that mm-hmm. they felt and it's real. hard to do in a dystopian future of some sort i'm not sure of dystopia but it's a mm-hmm. it's a far off civilization in the future that presentation wise yeah. you look at it and like, whoa, things have changed for humanity, that's for sure. And it's so mm-hmm. alien in nature. It's like, how can you make these characters feel human? 
they do a pretty good fucking job, not just with the actors, but with the writing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I honestly, uh, I loved it. I, I still need to watch it again. Definitely, this is my one time to complain about the movie, and I told you, I couldn't hear <laughs> most of the dialogue. That's fair. <laughs> Forget the main actor and the one that plays his mom, like, they're whispering for, like, the entire movie, mm-hmm. and I'm just kind of like, please speak up. Oh, like, my hearing is shit. And especially you with know, Hans you, score you, Yeah, the score the... probably didn't do any favors, that's for sure, because Hans Zimmer has never been mm-hmm. subtle, has he? Um, it's It's been pretty fucking loud. Um, although... <laughs> This isn't an excuse. There's no excuse, obviously, and you shouldn't be driven to this point, but they do have hearing aids for people who uh, that have a hard time hearing the movie in, in the theaters. Hmm. So that that, that is an option that. That for those that need help with it. That way they can have the, the audio in their ear, I think. So oh, that's that interesting. Yeah. that's an option to explore um if that becomes an issue although it shouldn't be that way um that's for sure. I mean I'm 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 also yeah, just also fine just of course, watching it yeah. and I'll put subtitles. <laughs> it just occurred time. to me though like I wonder uh, what would be that would be a really fascinating like um double feature day Dune and Eternals. Hmm. Yeah, both are very slow paced, <laughs> but uh, I didn't actually. I, I'll say I didn't feel it with Dune at all. I did kind of feel it with uh, no. Eternals, yeah, with Eternals, but, uh, yeah, the first was... time I saw it for sure, eh, low energy. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. With Dune, it was deliberately paced, but it never felt. You know, it never felt slow. That's the thing. Like it mm-hmm. was, but it never felt that way, and that's a big, big deal. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. What? Anything else is on Dune? Uh, no. I'm. I actually, I'm still debating whether to read the book or not. Because <laughs> uh, I got the book. It's just I'm kind of like, should I read it or should I wait to see what he does? <laughs> yeah, um, well, there are a couple of different ways you could do it, right? Um, Kyle went and did what Peter called, Peter called it cheating what Kyle did. Not mm. I'm not saying this in case Kyle listens, although he doesn't really listen to any podcast that you're on for whatever reason. But mm. uh, Kyle, Peter said that Kyle cheated with... He basically just read Wikipedia entries and see what happens next. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and you're like, no. Um, Peter read the book, so I think that definitely counts. Um, and like... Uh, you read all of Invincible, didn't you? Yeah. So you see, like, um, I could do that, but I'd rather just watch it on the show. That would be my preferred mm-hmm. way of doing it. I could read Dune, and I wouldn't be opposed to reading it, but I feel like it. 
I feel there are two valid arguments to be made when it comes to like watching material that's based off uh, text. It can either greatly enhance your experience of the adaptation or it could set up unreasonable expectations and then lead to disappointment mm -hmm. in the adaptation. I know a while back, um, a long time ago, uh, some friend of mine was was saying, well, maybe you should uh, consider reading the Civil War comic book before the movie comes out. And I was like, Sh I don't really want to do that because I feel like that's just going to set up expectations that I don't really need. Mm -hmm. Especially since the Civil War movie was very different than the Civil War <laughs> comic book. Like, it's almost yeah. not even the same thing at all. Mm -hmm. Like, we were all, like, I think a lot of people were thinking that Civil War was going to be... um what the comic was remember i think in the early days we all thought like tom holland would be playing the same role that the character played in the comics he doesn't not even in the slightest there's like no you see how different the story is mm -hmm. um to the point where it was kind of surprising how much of a direct sequel civil war is to winter soldier more than anything else mm -hmm. it also is yes avengers part three technically speaking but it also is captain america 3 so there's that um what were we talking about <laughs> whether i should read the book oh <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i'm tired man um <laughs> yeah you could i won't but if you want to you could i mean you like to read so if you want to read something i probably would read that but then yeah. yeah i mean i you're not going to get more june until 2023 <laughs> true it's a long I time mean, still reading a bunch of other books so we'll see if i get to it <laughs> okay so you saw no time to die yeah um what did you think what did you expect going into it and what did you think walking out so i tried watching the other Daniel Craig, James Bond. I only got to his second movie. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think James Bond is for me. Yeah, like I, I was able to watch. I was able to watch Fast and Furious, like, and I loved them. <laughs> but James Bond just isn't for me. <laughs> Honestly, man, I I feel the same way for the most part because um. <laughs> I remember watching Casino Royale and Skyfall and Spectre, the Daniel Craig era James Bond movies, and like I like they're great action movies, but like I I, I feel kind of the same way where in a way it's not for me because I just like it just didn't grab me. Like I, I what I, I I can tell like what I'm seeing on screen is great, but it didn't grab me. Um I understand you. I understand you. Um, it's like so. You did watch Quantum of Solace. Mm, was that the second one? Yes. Yeah, I guess so. That one, I did, <laughs> that one, I didn't watch, and I think that one is probably the weaker one of all of them. But yeah, mm. if it didn't grab you, but you still went to go see No Time to Die, or you saw that one first? Um, I still wanted to go see uh, No Time to Die. Um, and you, and what did you think? Uh, it was fine. Yeah, it's James Bond. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's James Bond. Like, it's just uh, it, again doesn't really do much for me. Um, the action was great. I did like um, 
seeing more emotion, I guess, from the character. And I actually was sad about this one other character dying. Um, and so, I mean, that that was something. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, but ultimately, like, you know, it was okay. Yeah. Uh, it was, I think it was a cool send off, I guess. Sure. For his character. It's just hard. And, uh, it's hard to care when you're not really invested. It's hard to care when you don't care, period. So I think mm-hmm. that's a hard thing to get over. I will say that for me, I didn't much care at all, really going into it. But I kind of love the movie, to be honest with you. Like I think, mm-hmm. I think No Time to Die is legitimately great with its problems. It's very bloated. It didn't need to be as long as it as it was. Um, mm-hmm. That's for sure. But I just think what really won me over was the craft, how great it's made, but. It it also is like the only Bond movie that actually has an emotional arc for James Bond, and so that that went a long way in making me like the character. And I just love the performances so much. It's like it it it's to me more than anything. What I love about No Time to Die is like it's not. A, a, I don't think of it as a finale because like it's a finale to something primarily that I really don't care about. So I don't look at it as a finale. I just look at it as a really good old fashioned movie. Mm-hmm. but just made in 2021, but still with those old-fashioned sensibilities. And I think when I look at that movie, it's just such a champion for, like, you could still... How a lot of the old ways of movie making are still kind of the best ways of it. On location, practical effects, um, the stunt choreography. It's just mm-hmm. beautiful. And, of course, you got Hans Zimmer there, Um doing a beautiful score that's not his typical style of score. It's not like a blah, just blaring at mm-hmm. you the entire time. So I I, I kind of love this movie, and I was surprised that I did because I was thinking I was going to walk into it and, and probably feel like you're feeling right now. And it's like, it's okay. I just don't care about this. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think um, it made me care, actually, about James Bond for the first time. Um, So there is that. So, you want to talk about Lucifer. It's over. Yes. Uh, great fucking show, honestly. Uh, it's just, from the beginning, it, it, they took an interesting take of Lucifer, this being. And I liked what they did from the beginning, which is basically kind of like deconstruct, I guess, uh, Lucifer and kind of explain as to why he is the way that he is but also just give a different perspective like what we usually see of Lucifer like pure evil uh, bring about the the, uh, the end of the world and all that but it's like nah it's just I'm I'm just doing my thing guys you guys should all do your thing like do whatever you want and so as like they break down like why he is the way he is, you you start caring about him more and more and it's just it's sort of like that thing with the good place of like how do you become a better version of yourself and that's exactly what he was in the in the very end. He's still you know, he's still bringing on that charm to people. He still like likes to make dumb uh sexual innuendo innuendos uh, everywhere he can. And all that, but ultimately, like he, instead of just letting people be who they are, uh, like how he always done, instead he can 
he always, he tried to look at people as to how they can become better and and that was just a really interesting thing to do with again lucifer <laughs> of all people and is um i just love where the, all the characters ended up in the end i think they were exactly where they needed to be um in the end so yeah so i'm, I'm so glad netflix got the show man <laughs> i'm so glad we got we got an ending it was great do you think i'd like this show i think so yeah 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 the first two seasons i think i can't remember when they took when they got it from when netflix got it uh but you know it's just very much um uh, what is it procedural yeah the episodes it's a, a detective show and all that but there's definitely one season where like they fucking hook you in for sure uh but again uh, I think you'll find the the actor who plays Lucifer. I think you'll find him pretty charming. He's really funny, mm. uh, and then uh, all the other characters are just great. So yeah, I think you might enjoy okay, it. Okay, so it's definitely worth the watch. It sounds like they had a great finale and they went out on top. Yeah, I think so. That's good. I haven't really I only I only heard one review, but uh, mm. I think that I think they had a good ending. Okay, I'll definitely put that one on the list then. Um, and so, lock and key. Mm-hmm. Um, I also on Netflix. I re- yeah, it's also on Netflix. Um, I really liked the first season of it, and a lot of it would have to do is because of the family relationship. Uh, thing that surprised me the most, like, is that it wasn't the whole. Uh, you know, a daughter yelling at the mom that she's ruining her life. The two sib- all the siblings are just fighting all the time. Like, no, every single one of them cared about each other. Whenever they had a problem, huh. they had tried to help each other out. Uh, and, you know, there was a moment in the first season. It's not that spoilerish, but yeah, the mom is an alcoholic. Um, you know, she hadn't drank in a while, but in the first season, she drank. And you know, I feel like if it was any other show one of the kids would have been like judgmental about it or something, or they would have been really pissed. But no, instead they were like, Hey, uh, I think mom started drinking again. And they both, and the other person went, cool. What do we do? And it's just, they tried to help her out. And so I was just like, that's awesome. And second season, they really did that again Mm. this season, all the characters, especially the mom character who's like, you know, she doesn't, he has, she has no idea what's going on. Uh, uh, with the plot and everything, but I love what she was going through in this season. Um, and again, just all the characters, uh, they're in a situation, they're going to work on it together. If they have something they want to prioritize more, they'll help, uh, they'll let them do it or they'll help each other out in some way. And just all these characters, you know, they're a freaking family, they care about each other. <laughs> and so, uh, that's a, just, just one thing what I like about the show. Um, in terms of the plot itself, uh, I actually really like the villain this year, uh, this season. Mm. Um, uh, the actor, I can't remember his name, but he came out and I don't know if you ever saw it, but this like Netflix mockumentary. Um, oh my God, what's it called? Damn. It's a mockumentary. Uh, the first season, season had to do with, um, figuring out who spray painted dicks on the teacher's cars. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of it. No, I'm not sure if, I have. Uh, no. Oh my gosh! You should, oh, I'm uh, sure it was Peter Martinez because he's known doing that. 
<laughs> uh, honestly, you should watch. Uh, when I if I figure out what the show is, I'll, I'll tell you about it. But you should definitely watch that mockumentary. It was great. Uh, but he came out in it, and he was just sort of like a side character, not much. And so when he was in this, and be- and becoming a a villain, I was kind of like, "Yo, this guy, he's got some potential." And so it's just, it was pretty uh, entertaining to see him. Uh, but the plot itself, it's fine. Um, a bad guy wants to kind of, kind of like kind of like rule the world, but I like again what they all went through to kind of get to where they needed to stop the bad guy it was really entertaining <laughs> so i don't know if they're gonna get another season but we'll see <coughs> what thoughts if any do you have uh about a couple of trailers did you see the home alone sweet home alone bullshit thing on disney oh, plus yeah yeah i saw it um that kid the main kid. That's the kid from Jojo Rabbit, right? The not the main kid from the movie, but the friend. Is it? Yeah, it looks like him. I didn't think about that, but maybe you're right. Um, yes, I mean if it's him, that's like what the only thing that I'm excited for uh, uh, about the movie is that it's him, and I oh my I thought god, it was really cool. <laughs> Jojo you're right. Rabbit. <laughs> no Archie Yates yes um mm. I feel bad this yeah. movie this movie this movie is um so obviously dog shit and it's gonna be mm-hmm. the reviews are gonna be savage yeah but I mean I'm, I'm hopeful that the main kid will do a pretty good performance and all that. Um, sure. Uh, honestly, yeah, for his um, sake. Mm-hmm. But honestly, though, uh, literally, they've done a bunch of Home Alone movies uh, or like uh, different versions of Home Alones, and no one ever talks about them. So I don't know why Disney Plus, Disney, um, try to make one. It's just dumb, honestly. Because, because, I mean. It's what we asked for, David. I mean, of course mm-hmm. we wanted another Home Alone movie. It's like, you know, it's like, why would they make a National Treasure 3 when we can get, you know, a remake of Turner and Hooch with Josh Peck? Why would we, you know, why would they give us a Haunted Mansion movie when they can just do a crappy Muppets version of it? Why would um, they give us um, The Princess Diaries 3 when they can just give us a remake of trains, planes, and automobiles. Why would they give us something like, oh, mm, maybe a reimagining of Halloween Town when they can just give us three men and a baby? Or a, a spin-off show with Gaston and LeFou from the Beauty and the Beast live action movie? Oh god, that's still happening. Yeah. That's still happening. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh yeah. Yeah, that's that's bad. 
what did you think of the trailer for um Lightyear? Oh if you li- um, if you listen to both Fantasy Fair and Red Spotlight, we had very different reactions. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I definitely had th- very different reactions to you guys. And I mean I agree with everything you guys said. Yeah. Like I understand why you guys found it weird. I understand you know, it really is just the pr- like how they came up with the premise of the movie that's like super fucking weird because if they were like we just want to make a origin story of buzz lightyear then i would have been like really okay with the movie but the fact that they're promoting it as this is the movie that andy saw that got him to buy the toy or want the toy is like no (laughs) i feel like that's not no, <laughs> and uh, it's and so like I definitely understand why you guys thought it was like a weird trailer, just a weird premise in general, like uh, of the movie. But I uh, I actually did enjoy the trailer mostly because I actually didn't want uh, the whole space alien battle uh, shoot him up uh, movie, right? Because I was just kind of like uh, it's just it's just not gonna be as I don't think like it's gonna be as good as the cartoon, uh, and it's just gonna be a little bit over the top. So the fact that they it just it gives off like Martian vibes or something, or just kind of like yeah, maybe possible space odyssey type of thing, um, seems pretty interesting for me. Uh, but yeah, again, it's just it's still weird that this is how they're promoting the movie that it's Andy's movie. It's just, it feels weird. Cause it's, it, it's, but it's a different version of Buzz Lightyear. You know, it's a different version of Buzz Lightyear. I, and, um, I don't know if I'll get over it. I think I will get over it, but it'll, mm-hmm. it'll just take time. And I, 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 it's Pixar. So the odds are overwhelmingly good the movie will be good. Mm -hmm. Maybe not great, but it'll at the very least be good. That's how they usually are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, I think I'm still going to be entertained by it. Um, Honest opinion. Honest opinion real quick. How many bad movies? Not movies, like, I know that, how many bad movies do you think Pixar has actually made? Mm. And that's not the same thing as movies you don't care for, but just like bad movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I. <laughs> or do you like all of them? I guess I like all of them. Um, like you mentioned, like there are some that I just don't really care care about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Up so... or Toy Story Four. Mm-hmm. Toy Story Four. Honestly, Incredibles Two. In a way, like it's. It's fun to watch, but like that—that that to me that is among the weakest kind of, of the of, of them, because that one very mm-hmm. much feels like this could be so much more, but we're it's not. Yeah. No, honestly, I don't think they've actually ever made a bad movie. I know some people will say Cars Two would probably be the bad movie, but I found it entertaining. So <laughs> I I found it entertaining too. Um, for better or for worse, I guess. Mm. Well, I guess the good dinosaur. Mm. 
Yeah. That's I could probably consider that a pretty bad movie. It's it's pretty but it's I mean, pretty nothing, you know. Yeah, but I mean one movie that I can like barely consider bad out of the twenty four mm-hmm. or so I mean they got good odds. Uh I was gonna say, um I, st- I think I think I still might like the movie even if um Chris Evans is voicing <laughs> Buzz Lightyear. Uh, you didn't like the voice? I just no. I mean, I don't mind him uh, playing him if it was live action. It just feels weird that that Tim Allen wasn't not... brought back. Tim Allen, yeah, yeah. What? And then it just kind of bothers me a bit more though now because uh, I think it was a director. His reason for hiring Chris Evans is because he's able. To... He said that he Chris Evans is able to bring like that stoicism to the character but also be funny and i was just kind of like you wanted captain america uh, <laughs> That's all yeah you basically yeah <laughs> and so now i'm kind of like uh i don't think we're gonna get like full captain america like he is in the mcu but i get i understand what you're trying to go for what did you think of the boba fett trailer I didn't see it. I really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show, everybody. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, that's honest. That's... <laughs> Man. Man. We really don't care about that shit. Okay. All right, then. Well, um, we're just going to go ahead and end it off here. Thank you, David, for being on the show. Um, thank you for getting us your thoughts. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, And we'll be back next time on Red Spotlight with more content on the way. Bye-bye. Bye.